Hello and welcome to Back to Britpop. It's me, Chris. Uh, on this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Stuart Braithwaite of Mogwai. Stuart talks to me about how the band were formed, his musical influences and how he goes about writing music. And also we discuss the upcoming launch of their new album, As the Love Continues, which is out today as this podcast is being released, the 19th of February. It's another fantastic interview, so thanks again to Stuart. Just before we get going on that, just to say again, thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please give me a rating and subscribe to the podcast. And also, if you have time, write a review because it really helps. And also, if you'd like to support me financially, you can do. Just visit the Ko-Fi page in the, in the show notes and you can buy me a coffee. I'll be back at the end, but here's Stuart. Welcome to the podcast, Stuart Braithwaite. How are you tonight? I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, coping with uh, everything that's going on out there at the moment is quite shocking. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> but you're managing to keep it all together. There seems to be... Well, it appears that you're as busy as ever, really. Uh, yeah, we're pretty busy. Obviously, there's a bunch of stuff we can't do, but yeah, we've got a record coming out on Friday. I don't know what day this is going to go out, but yeah, on the 13th. So just kind of, um, oh, the, no, the 19th. Yeah. It's definitely not Friday the 13th. That's <laughs> that's an old horror film. Um, so yeah, just kind of busy with that. But um, yeah, it's good to have stuff to do, definitely. Have you tried consciously try to, to sort of mix things up and stay stay with it you know and explore different ways of, of doing music and reaching your audience in this time I mean we've not really had a choice you know we've just got to really rethink things now that we can't go on tour or play gigs so it's just kind of trying to do things to connect with people like like talking to you like podcasts and making playlists playlists for people and just anything to kind of try and bring people together and yeah, it's, it, it seems to be happen, happening quite naturally. Um, mm. I know a few bands have had some problems once the record's actually out, kind of trying to maintain visibility without being on tour. But yeah, I guess yeah. we'll cross that road when, bridge when we come to it. Yeah, that's another story altogether when things ease. I wanted to pick your brains really, Stuart, and, and go back a little bit if I can. Um, yeah, yeah. In terms of your sort of you and your early influences and sort of the music that sort of got you this place in to this place in the first instance so what were your early influences growing up and as a kid um well I, I really got into music through my big sister I've got a sister Victoria who's three years older than me and she would have been the late 80s when I first started listening to music and she was into like I guess what you would kind of call alternative music like the cure the Jesus and Mary chain loads of 4AD stuff as well as like kind of older older influences like the Velvet Underground and the and Jimi Hendrix and that kind of thing so I've kind of got because I had an, an older sister I've got kind of probably a bit cooler early influences <laughs> than a lot of people you know like I didn't kind of I know I wasn't just listening to Brian Adams until I heard Sonic Youth at university or anything you know <laughs> so it kind of it, it almost feels weird when people ask me that but I yeah. did start early on listening to pretty good music because I had that kind of a filter of an older sister who um, who had good taste and kind of, yeah, she, yeah she's got really good taste. So I think that helped a lot. It's really important, I think, that that older sibling thing, although they can, they can hate you with a passion, they also have a really good influence. I know my brother rescued me from Michael Bolton when I was a young lad. 
That was a very kind, a noble, a noble gesture. <laughs> well, we were we, before I knew it. We were going to see uh, uh, Megadeth, Metallica, the Almighty, and bands like that, and and yeah. getting, getting trains to places. And then before, yeah, I was getting into. I got into metal. Like very early on, and, and it, he rescued yeah. me from Michael Bolton's sax, sax solos. So, w- when did you sort of get into sort of guitar playing? Probably around about the same time. Like, my parents got me and my sister guitar lessons from this really cool guy called Harry, sadly no longer around, but just a really another kind of important person in my kind of musical journey because he introduced me to a lot of other cool music that I didn't know about, stuff like the Stooges. And maybe the Velvet Underground too, actually. I maybe learned, I think my sister liked them as well, but I remember Harry, my guitar teacher, played me some Velvet Underground. So I, I, I kind of, it kind of all happened at the same time in this kind of like mm. real, quite intense short period of kind of getting into the world of music. And it, it was around about then that like a, a, a few, when I went to, to high school, like one of the other kids, because I went to a different school from all my friends because mm. apparently the school I went to was better. <laughs> <laughs> my parents drove me a little bit further to go to this different school. I didn't know anyone. And like the very first day, like this other kid saw I was wearing a Cure t-shirt and started talking to me. So me and all my like little teenage pals, we were all getting into music as well. So it was, it was a kind of like really intense, exciting time. So this early, early visions of the band then when you decided that you wanted to sort of make your own music, was there like a defining yeah. moment? Were you riffing and coming up with ideas in your bedroom and then sort of forming a, the, you know, the conventional story? Or was it a slightly different path based on where you are now? Well, I mean, I think I think me and my friends had, had been playing at being in a band, but like some of us had instruments, like I had a guitar. I got an electric guitar after a while because I started off on an acoustic. My pal had a bass and we would play. So we wouldn't play our own songs, we'd play other people's songs. And... And it must have been horrendous, but we just totally loved it. Um, so we did that for a while. And it, it, I, I, I did music at college. That It wasn't until then that I really was in a proper band that like wrote songs and played gigs and all that kind of stuff. But mm. throughout all my teenage years, I'd always been mucking about with my pals, kind of playing other people's songs, mm. murdering other people's songs. <laughs> so in terms of like, I don't say the cliche question, the sort of your signature sort of mogwai sound when did it mm-hmm. when did you feel that that kind of was coming together and you felt you had something that was different enough to reach like a different kind of audience or uh, was pushing against I guess what was happening in the 90s which was that quite very poppy sound and very um uh-huh. that, that similarly produced sound um I mean, again, there was no kind of master plan or anything but I remember the band started with me and Dominic the bass player and we'd been in other kind of local bands that for various reasons weren't going to keep going. And we, I think we wanted to, we both took music really seriously. And at, at, at this point, it was really uncool to be serious. Like mm-hmm. like you said, it was a really poppy kind of vibe. Everyone was in, it was very jokey. It was very London, you know, it was a kind of menswear blur, all that kind of stuff. And we were like, we were in Sonic Youth and My Bloody Valentine, mm. which at this point was really uncool. So we kind of almost wanted to be in a really uncool band. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't think we ever really thought we were the music was gonna go anywhere. We were 
I know it's this whole musician cliche, but we really were just doing it because we wanted to do it. And um, and it did take a while for anyone to really pay much attention to us. But um, yeah, there definitely wasn't a plan. We just wanted to start a band with the kind of influences, the music that it meant a lot to us, stuff like Joy Division, Sonic Youth, these kind of bands. And, and yeah... And a lot of other music that was coming out at the time, like Tortoise and La Bradford, that we were really excited about. Yeah, there wasn't much of a plan, though. We just yeah. started a band and we didn't stop. <laughs> what was it like then when they, when sort of ears started to prick up and you were starting to get some uh, some attention from, I know, labels and things came a bit later on, but you, you, you self-produced a lot of your early stuff, didn't you, as well? Yeah, we, we, we put our own first single, we started a label, Rock Action, which has kind of grown, and that's we, it's now we're putting out our own records again. Um, I know it was really exciting. It, it was a really exciting time, like going down to London to play gigs. Like Martin, our drummer, he worked in a Chinese restaurant, and uh, I remember our first gig in London. He had to open the restaurant the next day, <laughs> so we literally like. We're in my mum's car, packed up and drove straight back to Scotland because he had to go to work at 10 in the morning. Mm. You know, like, and even though that sounds like hell on earth, it was the biggest blast. We like really, really, really had so much fun. And it's just a really exciting time because when everything's brand new, I think that's when, when it's the most exciting for a band. I mean, even like, even like crazy stuff we've done in years since, which don't get me wrong, has been really, really cool. I don't, I don't think anything's been quite as exciting as like maybe that first year where you're kind of first getting, getting played by John Peel or first getting a review in the enemy, all this, all this kind of stuff. It's just like such a buzz, especially when you're a kid, you know, it's such a buzz and mm. you've kind of grown up around this kind of culture and like, you know, like I, I was obsessed with Julian Cope's book, still I'm head on, where he talks about getting single of the week in the NME. And I mean, it would be a weird thing to explain to kids now because the NME isn't even a magazine anymore. But like, yeah. that was that, that was like that was like the, the best thing that could happen to your band. You know, yeah. my band was featured in Holly's Demo Hell at the back of uh, the NME. I don't know if you remember that particular. I do. Oh, oh, was that not Melody Maker? Or no, was it, it, was enemy? A, it was the enemy, yeah, and and um, right. Holly, Holly Hernandez, and I remember, I don't know why I sent it in. It was almost like it was a curious to see whether she would pull us apart, and it wasn't a bad review. And we dined out on it for for months and months afterwards because I was able to chop it up and use it on posters. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it was almost like damning with fake praise. It's like it's shy, but it's it's there's worse out there, sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the John Peel uh, stuff. I mean, he kind of championed you. As I know, he championed you know many bands and, and lots of, of musicians and bands have got owe him so much and uh, you know mm-hmm. his his legacy will, will last for a very long time but that yes you, you've touched on it already but that, that must have been such a, a box ticker for you in terms of just getting his his approval yeah i mean when we started the band we only had like a few ambitions and one was to get played on john peel and like he played our first single amazingly and, and like i remember taking a photograph of the cfax screen they used to have like his playlist what he played and like remember taking an actual photo of the tv just to prove that this had ever happened mm. you know and uh 
and th- thankfully he, he continued to support us and got us in on se- to do a bunch of sessions. Sure, amazing too, because the money for those was super helpful, yeah. especially to pay for us to come down to play in London because that would cost a couple of hundred quid with hiring a van and everything. And we were kids, we didn't have any money. And um, yeah, so it, it was it, it was almost like a sort of funding thing as well as just a kudos and publicity thing, you know, it was yeah, great. Yeah. I kind of missed John, the, the John Pill thing with me kind of came a little bit later because I was, I was always a bit too young to fully appreciate John Peel's influence because I was, a, you know, I was kind of grew up on Wiley and Lamac show and then Mark yeah. Lard in the evening and the kind of John Peel was this kind of mystic figure Gandalf type guy that, uh, yeah. you know, you touched on if you stayed late enough, you could sort of get some yeah. of that stuff, but it's a little bit out there. But yeah, I mean, I completely appreciate sort of how that must feel to get that kind of, uh, as you say, kudos and recognition. But your, your kind of career, your musical career has just gone, I mean, you've never had a quiet year, it feels. You've sort of just produced and, and been able to write since those early 90s. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've always been busy. We've never really taken a massive amount of time off, which I think is good. I, I don't really know what else to do, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get bored. Does it change though? I mean, over the years, uh, with the amount of material that you now have, and certainly with the most recent sort of recordings and, and, and albums you've produced and written and stuff, does does the writing process change with every album, or is there, is there something else that happens to you in order to you to to come up with new ideas? I'd say the only real change was when Barry moved to Berlin, because Barry, a piano player, moved moved away about ten years ago, and that's when we kind of had to start demoing on computers and emailing them to each other. Mm. But uh, to be honest, the whole world now does that. So I, th- I feel like we're kind of trailblazers. Um, but that, apart from that, it's not really changed much at all. It's really it's really not. Like, I guess we don't get to get, well, again, because of the pandemic, that's not happening anyway, but we don't get together when we're at home as much as we used to. Because mm. when we were kids, you just, that's all we did. That's all we did was just, write songs and, and rehearse and we still spend a lot of time in music but not not all in the same room all the time especially since Barry lives in Berlin but I don't think anything's changed too much really at all. So is there anything else that's inspiring you because it, you, your sound is quite well, very cinematic and and you know you've, you've you've been credited to writing soundtracks and and getting involved in scores and things like that and and, and I guess your music's heard in, in lots of sort of in, in in the cinematic world as well, isn't it? Because it's so evocative mm-hmm. and moody and, and, mm-hmm. and um, but are you inspired by that genre or that medium as well? Does that help you in terms of the creative process? I think we always were, to be honest. I think we were always quite into soundtracks and it, and, um, it kind of made sense when people started asking us to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm inspired by everything, to be honest, just kind of the weirdest little thing can kind of like, make something click and make you think of something else. And and music obviously is just kind of omnipresent and just hearing something and being like, wow, how did they do that? Or like, how could we adapt that into what we do? And yeah, it's kind of a constant kind of exploration. Do you watch a lot of uh, films? Is there sort of certain type of movie or that you're into or, or series that you're into? 
Yeah, I, yeah, I, I watch a lot. I, I'm kind of, I'm mostly into horror films. I've not been as watching as much recently because my kind of partner in crime that I go to the movies to watch horror. Well, the, the cinema's shut, so I've not, <laughs> not been. And my, my wife's not quite as keen as me. She, every once in a while, she's not anti horror, but I've not been watching as much. But that's that's my main thing. Like, like recently, there's been some really great ones, like The Witch and Hereditary, and yeah. And I, I love the like, all, all the classics like The Exorcist and all that kind of stuff. You, I mean, the, the, the horror genre and uh, specifically, I guess, what it's doing now is finding new and different ways to to sort of um, I don't know, not recreate, not not regenerate the genre because there's always going to be like a market for the slasher and the monster flick and the you know the torture porn stuff. But it feels like recently with the like the host. I don't know if you've seen that one, which is like the Zoom inspired or host rather the Zoom inspired yeah. horror film that came out recently, which is available on on Shudder, which is like a completely like genre defining moment where it's kind of everyone's paranoid now. They go onto Zoom meetings and they might get possessed by a demon or something. But I really want to watch that, actually. Do you recommend that one? That I do, good? yeah. It's very good, very clever, very right? spooky. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll get on it. There seems to be a lot of films at the moment sort of focusing on sort of pagan, pagany sort of Wicker Man mm-hmm. kind of stuff, which is a, yeah. which is brilliant for just um, just spooky enough. Spooky feels, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, the Wicker um, Man's amazing. That's another one. Absolute favourite. It's so good. The thing is with this lockdown situation is, is you, you know, you end up probably wanting to find something a little bit lighter to, to enjoy. Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Cobra Kai, I think Cobra Kai is one of the things that me and my wife have just basically enjoyed immensely because it's just such an uplifting, nostalgic thing. Uh, it's amazing. It is good. It is good. <laughs> Although I was telling the, the band about it at rehearsal the other day and like, Someone just couldn't believe that Daniel San was the baddie. It was like <laughs> that. It's like kind of absolute mind melter. So the the latest uh, latest recording or the record, the um, as the love continues, uh, you've done an amazing thing in terms of just like you know launching this this live stream and and the album together. I mean, what? How did that idea come about, and and how logistically was that to put together? Um, well, I th- I, we wanted to do an online thing because we couldn't do gigs, and I can't remember whose idea it was to play the whole album. But yeah, I think it it, it, it was a weird one because we did it last November and then it came out last Saturday. And then it's one of these things like with ten minutes before it started, I was like, "Shit, what if people don't like this?" It really kind of like I got this like massive bit of fear, and then thankfully people did like it. But yeah. I don't know. There's 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 a lot of stages of releasing a record. I know this is our 10th one. You should be totally used to it or blase or whatever, but there's loads of like real fear of whether people are going to like. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thankfully they did, but that, that was a weird sensation. I wasn't actually expecting, but um, yeah, I, I'm glad we did it. And I think, I think as well, like it kind of felt like a bit of a, it felt like a community event, like, people doing something at the same time and yeah it was nice I've, I've enjoyed a lot of the Tim Burgess's Twitter listening things as well mm. he's, he's done a couple of our records but even just records I love and friends records and just loads of things just everyone listening to the same thing at the same time it kind of I guess that just kind of goes towards how much we all miss being together mm. experiencing music and well music because that's what we're into but for everything whatever people are into like just not being together even like 
football or mm. movies or, or anything. It's just been such a huge loss, you know. You're on the radio tomorrow morning as well, aren't you, with uh, Marianne Hobbs and doing some live yes. streaming. So are you, are you physically playing live or are they, are they streaming parts of the album? No, no, no. We're 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 playing it. We're doing it from BBC Scotland. Ah. But yeah, yeah, we've been in practicing all week for that. So yeah, I'm I'm excited about that. It should be fun. So you need some rest then. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I'm not. Too, I'm, I'm, it's not too late. <laughs> uh, well, listen, um, Stuart. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, and I really appreciate your time. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me on. Massive thanks to Stuart for joining me on the podcast. It was really good to talk about Mogwai. Don't forget, I'm on social media. So if you fancy following me on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, just search for Back to Britpop and you can find me there. Also, again, if you haven't rated or left a review or supported me on Ko-Fi, you can find all those details in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. See you on the next podcast. Listener.